Welcome to No Concessions, your new favorite movie podcast, ostensibly about nurture. Just kidding. Uh (laughs) (laughs) No Concessions is another movie podcast where we explore subgenres of film. This week's subgenre is movies starring people who play against type. This week we're doing Death Becomes Her, starring Bruce Willis. Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. That's and a, that's basically it. Yeah, really, for real. After that, we go into our titular segment, No Concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies. Person who was supposed to be the third this week pulled out, so it's just me and Charles. That's all you need. Yes. We're the only constants in your life, even those of you who are married. <laughs> we'll always be there. And they won't. And you just have to accept that. Yeah. When we don't know your name, it's okay. But when your spouse (laughs) forgets your name, it's not. Think about who you want around more. Look, I don't know any of your last names or birthdays. So you know that my love is unconditional. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this week's opening segment is movies that or trailers that got us hyped for movies. Start with you, Charles. Uh, This one is... One of my, kind of, I guess in retrospect, a little more embarrassing, um, and was almost on my no concessions list until I watched it again recently, uh, this is the 97 Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) I was a dinosaur kid. Uh, You know, most kids, or at least, yeah, a lot of kids you can separate into either uh, dinosaur kids or space kids. Those are kids who are like real into animals and dinosaurs and shit, or kids who are more into like space and like machines or cars or whatever when they're little. I was a dinosaur kid, and so coming off of Jurassic Park, I was like, I need more dinosaur shit now. And then the Godzilla trailer dropped, and I was super... I had a Godzilla-themed birthday party that year. Wow. I hadn't even seen the movie yet. You had a Matthew Broderick lookalike show up (laughs) instead of a fucking clown. Oh, boy. But uh, the Godzilla trailer... Even at that point, I had seen the... uh, like the, to- the the Toho films, like a few of them, just like on TV or stuff. My dad had been to Japan a whole bunch, and he'd always bring stuff back. He's in the Navy. And so I had seen a few Godzilla movies already, so I was already familiar and into the character. And so the Godzilla trailer was like, Godzilla looks so different. And it was like the poster was just the eye, and it was really exciting to me at the time. And I saw the movie, and I loved it. But I'm an adult now. <laughs> and that movie's objectively bad. Yeah, it's a terrible movie. I have a fondness for it because I was seven when I got into it. But it is a bad movie. Yeah, absolutely. But the trailer where it's just... Uh, there's the one trailer where it's just New York. And it's just footsteps. It's a, it's a scene from the movie where it's just footsteps and things are like bouncing. Uh, that trailer got me real into it. And there's another trailer. Or this may have been... A commercial but it's a bunch of kids at a uh it was a bunch of people at a museum i think they're at the smithsonian no which is it the nat whatever big museum is in new york i've never been i don't give a shit about museums yeah me neither i don't fucking care about museums uh, uh, i mean actually you know what that's a lie i do actually like museums i just hate art yeah i don't like going to art museums i mean like natural natural history museums are cool uh, i like the museum of man here in san diego um when they change the shit up every like 10 years 
if they have like a cool exhibit about shit I care about, like even the aerospace museum, yeah, that shit's cool. But if you throw up a bunch of fucking abstract art, I'm gonna be pissed. Yeah, the uh, the the museum of modern art, art here. Yeah, our MoMA sucks. Yeah, are you fucking why? I don't care about somebody who drew a bunch of squares <laughs> on a sheet of paper. And there's a shop down here in San Diego. It used to be like kind of a skate shop or whatever, but now it's an art gallery. Sick. And part of the problem is when I look at that art and it's, this is the biggest scam about art, at least now. I don't know what it was like back before the internet, but as long as you have enough exposure and you're friends with the right people, then you're an artist who can present their stuff in galleries yeah. and sell your shit for way more than it's worth. Like, way more. Way too much. Anyway, that's enough hating on art for me. <laughs> anyway, it's a museum in New York, and they're, like, looking at a T-Rex. I remember this. And uh, the some, like the teacher or something looks away, and then Godzilla crashes through and eats the T-Rex skeleton. Because like they're talking about how big the T Rex was, which honestly isn't that big. They're only about as tall as giraffes. That's still fucking gigantic. It is still really big, especially for a predatory animal. Yeah. But, uh, sometimes you see depictions of T Rexes and they're like b- bigger than buildings. They're like, <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, those the you know the the footsteps trailer and then that commercial were the two that were like hidden for me. Yeah. I feel it. My first one is Tron Legacy. Okay. As many of you know by now, I have an aesthetic. And around when I was 20 was when this started coming up. I was just like, yo, the new Tron looks fucking sick. (laughs) I I saw it and like the, the set design and the aesthetic of the entire movie with the neon and then uh, the primary colors or not primary colors, but black and white. It was really impressive to me. It looked really great. Though, when the movie came out, it was much different. Yeah. It was... I Because I noticed in the trailer, I rewatched the trailer for it today, and I was just like, you know what? There are a lot of shots of interiors here. Because when you go to the exterior, it's literally no backgrounds. It's just a it's just big... Black. Yeah. Yeah. Big black space with things happening in the foreground with ships landing and shit. And not to say that some of that stuff doesn't look cool, because it does, but fucking hell, that movie was sparse. There wasn't a whole lot going on in it with the story or otherwise. And even when you watch the trailer, it kind of resembles the way that Michael Mann shoots his movies yeah. in in the live action portions. And then the style kind of just switches. And another thing that kind of sold me on this movie, of course, was Daft Punk doing the soundtrack for it. It is a great soundtrack. It's good for a movie soundtrack, for, but very boring for daft punk yeah it's not one of their more revolutionary albums no they don't even include it when they go out and perform yeah i think that may have been like a house of mouse thing they're like this shit's you can't make this shit too funky yeah what are you thinking this is for a sequel to a movie that most people don't even know that we own (laughs) it was it was a disappointment when i saw it there's going to be a theme with all of the things that i bring up here most of them are going to be largely disappointing (laughs) So yeah, rewatching the trailers after I suggested that earlier to this earlier in the day, I was like, man, some of the trailers that I got real into did not pay off the way I wanted them. To. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not one of them though. First, uh, the first Blade trailer. Okay, the first Blade trailer 
I remember just like it kind of coming out of nowhere. Cause this is before uh, superhero movies were like anything. This is before Spider-Man and X-Men. It was 98. So it was like, we didn't really have any fame of reference. And I just remember seeing the Marvel logo. Cause they like didn't even put it at the beginning. Cause they didn't, it wasn't Marvel studios. So it's like, you didn't even know unless you like knew blade, the character already. And it's just New York. And then all of a sudden you just like see, like people are talking about him and then you see Wesley Snipes kind of like step out of the, you know, out of the shadows real quick and then he's gone and it's like back to random people talking and he dips back out again. You keep seeing him and then he finally, you see him like crouch and he pulls the sword and it's like, holy shit. Okay. I expect it to be more understated because it's not a very quippy trailer and then like the movie was tonally a little different than the trailer kind of portrays, but it was still, it's still pretty fun. I don't mean to rewatch that trilogy again. It's I don't good. really need to watch Blade Trinity, but because all three of them are on Amazon, I'm like, or on Netflix now. I'm like, well, the first two are good. Yeah, the last one is very, exactly. very. I was like, bad. I don't need to watch this one. And but. even the second one is like, kind of like, I see what you're going for, but like, yeah. fuck, bro. They change directors. The second one on my list is sucker pun, <laughs> sucker punch. Oh, dude, I almost put sucker punch on the list. <laughs> This was this movie came out around the height of when I was like way into anime, and not to say that I was never not in anime, but like this was like peak Denzel is <laughs> watching hella anime out here. Oh, cool! Uh, let me watch Naruto. Let me watch One Piece. Like all this shonen shit, and this movie kind of dropped around. I mean, it came out after. What, two years Watchmen. after Watchmen? Yeah, it came out a couple years after Watchmen, and he still had buzz on him. Yeah. Like, Zack well, Snyder it was, was like... very highly anticipated because Watchmen had been like this kind of breakaway hit with like these characters no one had heard about, and they're like, Zack Snyder's directing a full feature-length film again. It's all he's been doing for fucking music videos and like yeah. car commercials and shit. And so, Sucker Punch was like... People were just as soon as it was announced, people were talking about it. Yeah, because absolutely. like we got to see what this dude's gonna do next. It's gonna be like it's gonna be bigger budget. It's not like restricted by stuff. And it was a true blank check situation. It was the first one was three hundred. Yeah. Then it was Watchmen, and so Sucker Punch comes out, and I was like, "There's no fucking way this is not gonna be a hit." And like around this time, I'd heard. He had been directing music videos. So when I watched the trailer, I was just like, yo, this might this might actually be really cool. <laughs> like, it's timed with the music. And at the time, I thought that was, like, actually a really good idea because I had been watching a lot of hoop mixtapes <laughs> on YouTube and shit. So when, when LeBron James in high school goes up for the dunk as some obscure member of Swisher House's <laughs> music is playing, I remember the song, too. I think it was by uh, somebody named Tum Tum. And it's I'm back on the track, about to rip it apart. Forty carrots on my neck, froze up my heart. I'm Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. Oh, my God. That that tape, that mixtape was so <laughs> sick. Somebody put together this LeBron James High School mixtape. And I, they had timed all the stuff going on yes. to the music. It was okay. So you just fucked the rest of my night up. I'm gonna be looking up. <laughs> I can definitely find the song. Video. It's dude. 
Some of them are really sick. I don't watch any of the ones now because they're full of high school kids. Yeah. And I feel like it's exploitative, yeah. especially because the people making the videos are making money off the, yeah. the stuff, but the high school kids aren't allowed to. Yeah, legally cannot. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a fucked up weird situation. At the time, I thought it was like a really sick idea, and I thought the movie Holy was going to be like musically th- music-themed. and people I mean, gonna, it kind of was. Yeah, yeah, but I thought it was going to be good. Yeah. And it, when it delivered on everything that I thought it was, I was like, damn, that fucking <laughs> this is the worst possible version of this. What, what made the movie worse was there was a lot of subtext alluding to things happening to these people. Yeah. But it didn't draw a clear enough line. So it was just like, so hold on. Are these girls crazy or? Yeah. Like, is this a brothel? Is this an asylum what year does this take place in <laughs> are these people just being repeatedly raped by yeah, it gets and it was like it's weird like who was in that movie we could we could do a whole thing on just yeah. sucker punch one day we had to do some bonus content on that but uh yeah that's that was a weird one that like i almost put that on my list today too like, yeah sucker punch was a fucking dope he, there's ogres and like nazi ogres and shit it's a very uh, cool looking trailer there was diva's mech before diva existed <laughs> nerf this the next one was uh uh xxx the triple x of the diesel movie <laughs> uh the the most recent one the return of xander cage really that would you think that was gonna be that oh, I knew exactly what it was gonna be. Oh, okay, okay, good, good. And good. as you've learned from uh, the other episodes of this podcast I've been on, I like stupid cartoonish shit. And that trailer was a straight up live action cartoon. It starts with him skiing down a radio tower in the fucking Amazon or some shit. I didn't even see the movie. I just thought the trailer was fucking dope. I'm like, there's no so, way this is gonna be good. But I love that fucking trailer. That trailer was great. Yeah, that that trailer was really a lot of fun yeah the movie was it was all right See, i mean it's I exactly what you'd expect it could the movie could not have been as fun as i as that two and a half minutes of trailer was it well that's not. because they put all the action in the trailer exactly and there's no like, way it could be and there was off some uh you know in the same way the uh fast and furious movie like movie trailers are edited now it's like what's all the coolest shit that we do in the movie that's got to go in the trailer. There's no plot because there's not going to be any plot. Like, let's just get into it. And I really like that trailer, but I knew the movie wasn't going to be good, so I didn't see it. But that's we're not talking about movies that were really good. We're talking about trailers that were really good. And that shit was super fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The problem that I largely had with that movie was that it was basically Fast and the Furious after four or five, around yeah. four or five. Just with different people in it, with the exception of uh, Vin Diesel. Yeah. It was was basically a palette swap of those movies. And not to say that that's a bad thing. It's just that it's not a lone wolf doing his lone wolf shit, which is the best Xander Cage. Did they address the fact that Xander Cage was allegedly blown up in uh, the Ice Cube one? It was at the end of the first one, technically, where he had been blown up. Yeah, but I know there's one point in the second one where you see... Maybe it's right at the beginning, then, where, yeah, like you, where you see his like tattoo. Fly off. Yeah. That's actually directly from the end of the first oh, one. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure, anyway. But, yeah, they basically said that they faked his death or something. Okay. And I think they cut off the tattoo or some shit like well, that. I don't know. It was really dumb. But, yeah, that, that movie was something the fuck else. Oh, boy. 
Now, this next one, I really actually enjoy this movie, though I can acknowledge how fucking terrible the flaws were, are. And it's Prometheus. Okay. So, I really fuck with this movie, but not for any of, like, the reasons that you would expect somebody to like a movie. Mm. Basically, it comes down to me just having a huge hard-on for sci-fi and people putting money behind a sci-fi budget and me enjoying that movie because it's got a lot of money behind it, despite it not actually being very good. (laughs) But the trailer was sick. I I watched the trailer, like, four or five times when, when it first came out. And I was just like, look, man. I'm very excited for expensive-looking sci-fi movies that aren't Star Trek or Star Wars. Yeah. Because those movies dominate the sci-fi zeitgeist in a way that's unfun for me as somebody who doesn't give a shit about either of them. Yeah. And Alien, although I don't think it ever should be a franchise spanning, like, multiple decades. Yeah, there shouldn't be nine of those. No, absolutely not. There should have been... Just the first three. Yeah. And even and even all the branching off properties, the audio books and all that stuff, all that stuff can be thrown in the fucking trash. Mm. Like that doesn't none of that matters. What I really appreciated about the trailer is just like the mood that it put in there, put it put forward for the movie. Of course it just looked like a completely different movie than it turned out being. Yeah. There was a lot more conversation in the movie. Granted, a trailer can't really Show you those gaps. Yeah, no one's watching the movie trailer for the dialogue. Yeah. So, it's it was kind of fucked up. But I still do enjoy the movie a lot. Even though it's fucking bad. It's really bad. <laughs> Alright, my next one is... Uh, the Winter Soldier trailer. The, uh, the Winter Soldier trailer is... Especially for a Marvel trailer. Kind of understated. But... It was the... Build up of like Bucky right out the gate, which I knew was coming as soon as the title was announced. But the build up was pretty good. Seeing Cap's suit, like this, you know, the stealth suit, which is based on the suit he was wearing in the comics at the time. He had had the super soldier serum taken. It's dumb. Comic books are stupid. Uh, but he was an old man for a while, but he was like in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. But it really, I think it does, it does a really good job of setting up how like menacing Bucky's going to be. And what the stakes are, like personally for uh, for Cap, and it shows off some of the cooler scenes in the movie without revealing too much, and that was like kind of the perfect balance for me. And then, as we've discussed uh, previously when we talked about the MCU films, it is one of the stronger ones, and it it's one of the few that holds up in retrospect. And I think the trailer kind of pushed me you know led me into that as well i was real ready for winter soldier probably more so than any of the other marvel movies thinking about specifically winter soldier it kind of sucks that they put a lot of the good action in the trailer it it's a good movie it's a fun movie to watch but they could have saved some of the larger set pieces in the movie and just not put them in the trailer. Yeah, like you do see part of when Bucky's assaulting the helicarrier. You see part of the scene where they're fighting on the bridge. You see the mine for Fury's yeah. car. Which, and like they, all they really do with those scenes is kind of obscure who else is in the scene. 
the one the maybe the one thing they should have like of in, from an action sequence they could have kept is when Bucky catches the shield at the end of the trailer. Like that's a good reveal. Yeah, they could have saved like that would have been good. But yeah, you do see a lot of the set piece. Like, you see something from all of the set pieces in the movie in just the three minute trailer. So there yeah. is that. But having not seen the movie, <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Retrospect. No, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Retrospect. You need retro spectacles <laughs> to see. Ooh, the next one that I have here is this is going to be the hottest take that I have so far. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Almost on my list, too. Oh, God. I love that trailer. I still kind of like that movie, but we don't have to talk about that. No, we don't. It was on. It was one of your no concessions picks, wasn't it? No, that was no, Man, Man of Steel. Steel. Man of Steel, yeah. I will concede some things in BVS. <laughs> my main problem with this fucking trailer is they put the Robin costume in it. That's really I expect I expected a lot of things out of this movie. Mm. I one of those things was for it not to be very good, but them putting the Robin costume in it and not touching on it at it all. It never delivers. Never. And likely never will at this point. Never. That's that was one of the biggest disappointments that I had in my entire fucking life, dude. I sat there and I watched that trailer and I said there's no way they would put this in the trailer if they're not going to have like any talk about Robin yeah. or any of that, right? This is this is an easter egg at best. Yeah. And then as it turns out, it was just that. It doesn't. The shot doesn't even linger on the costume any longer. It's the same length in the movie as it is in the trailer. <laughs> it really is, and nobody ever talks about it. Nobody's ever like Bruce. You had a fucking teenage sidekick that got murdered. It's only referenced psycho. one other time in a different movie, very briefly. Was that Suicide Squad? In the scene when they're all getting their equipment, they have little things about each of them, and when they get to Harley, there's one of her things is implicated in the death of Robin. And that's it. That's the only other reference to Robin in this universe. That's Despite how big a deal it seemed. Like, it's just there to establish that Bruce has been through some shit already. Like, he's already had Robin, and he's clearly older. And that's all that that sequence is there for. It's never brought up again. It's fucking ridiculous. And that's largely the, the biggest problem that I have with the trailer it got me hype in a way that I'm not normally excited about things. I think the most interesting stuff about Batman and Superman and all that DC comic shit is the stuff that happens outside of the main people. Yeah. Because at this point, Batman, we already know. His rogues gallery is pretty interesting outside of his top three villains. Mm. Superman, I just don't think is interesting at all. Incorporating Robin in that story in some way would have made that more impactful. Even if in flashbacks, if there was something where you're seeing how Bruce got to that point where he's branding people and uh, shooting like live rounds, if you chart a path for us, it's easier to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. And they put very little. They wanted to, I think. They expected to be able to tell more of that story later and then didn't get to. But that's like a bad strategy. That's not. Yeah, absolutely. I understand wanting to like put us into a world where. Yes, 
Clark is maybe the first superpowered person that the world sees for the. But Batman's been operating for a while. I don't think Batman as an urban legend works for more than a year or two in any version of that universe. But it'd be very clear that Batman is a real thing and does stuff all the time. And if you want to give us the idea that Batman's been operating for years before Superman ever you know, became public, you can't just drop us into that and then not give us anything. It also doesn't help that after the relentless murdering that Batman does in the movie, Zack Snyder was basically like, Batman kills people, get over it. Yeah. And it's just like, that just shows you don't know the source material. And we will accept a Batman that kills if you get us there. Yes. you. If you can support what you're doing textually in the text that you're creating, we people might not like it, but at least you've put support for what you're doing. Yeah. There was a there are a lot of problems with that movie, but that was the problem that I had with the trailer. They showed Robin and he should he yeah, fucking wasn't in there. Here's another one from my youth is the Digimon the movie trailer. That shit ooh. was hype, dude. From because the the show had only been on for a year, it only or about a year and a half. I think it aired the first two seasons. No, the first, it was just the first season still, uh, and this was bridging the gap between the protagonist from season one into the protagonist of season two, which we hadn't, I think it just started maybe, but because it's the dub, it had taken a while to get to us. So, but also it was the sheer jump in quality of the animation because it was a movie that's actually two movies hastily sewn together into one feature (laughs) for Western audiences. That is way worse than the original source material. But it looked incredible. And I'll still watch, because it's well, actually it's technically three movies. It's an OVA, the, like the first part where Ty and Kyrie find that digi-egg, and it evolves into a giant, into Koromon, and then to a giant Agumon, and even larger Greymon. It fights a Parrotmon in the middle of fucking Shibuya, or wherever they live. And that sequence is still incredible and the animation looks so good that entire like these the pseudo cell shading style they go for when they're in the digital world versus when they're in the real world is all very cool i'm very i was very into it and i remember seeing the movie and even as a kid not really liking it because it was really silly for no reason but that trailer was incredible because it had stuff from all three sections and they all looked so good. And I just couldn't, I was fucking nine years old. Couldn't deal with it. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a pretty fucking sweet trailer. I guess for my last one, it's going to be super eight. Okay. In the last podcast, uh, DK had brought it up and we spoke about it a little bit and I watched the trailer Again, and I remember seeing that trailer because I hadn't thought about it in several years. Mm-hmm. But I guess it wasn't so much the trailer that got me hyped for the movie. It was all the things surrounding it that got me hyped for the movie. 
as well as the trailer. So Steven Spielberg making his directorial comeback. This movie is like a spiritual successor to E.T. This was around the time when spiritual successor was being thrown around a lot as like basically a term for knockoff. Yeah. (laughs) And we're going to do it again. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what super eight turned out to be at least for me was a knockoff of all the good shit that he had done before Mm. the jay-z line also fuck jay-z the jay-z line comes to mind when i think of super eight if you want my old shit buy my old album (laughs) and that's exactly what should have been applied here yeah Uh, if you want spielberg's old shit go get his old shit go buy his old movies because this movie is washed like even the trailer, I rewatched it today. Yeah, I was just like, this shit is washed. This is bad. This, I understand the appeal of the movie one hundred percent. It's just not good. Yeah, even in the trailer, it doesn't seem like too much is going on, and it's just hitting on the cliched notes. All I remember is kids on bikes and a Super Eight camera and a train. Yes, that's a lot of what goes on. There's definitely a train. There's also the uh, beleaguered sheriff. Yeah. That's in the town. There's the military that comes in full of assholes, figures, mm. Sp- Steven Spielberg movie. It's got all the hallmarks. It hits all the notes, even down to the soundtrack that's playing. Or yeah. what's it called? The score. In- score. The score in the trailer that's playing. Even down to that, it's right on, spot on Spielberg. Yeah. And it's supposed to evoke those feelings of, of his previous work had you seen it. Yeah. But it's not good it's just him trying to get that old thing back get that rework the magic and yeah. it doesn't work it's not good i don't i got i was hyped for the trailer when i was a kid i did because of all the news about it and i i really, hadn't directed anything in a while at that point yeah and when people say like oh steven spielberg deserves a lot of respect and he's earned a lot of things in his career. You think like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. This is people talk a lot about this in sports. Sports are very different than any artistic form because you're good for such a limited amount of time yeah. in art. You only push yourself that hard. Yeah. And then once you think you've made it, you stop trying or something. Yeah. And that's how I feel about this movie in particular. Let us know what what trailers you got hyped about. And, uh, yeah, let it, let us know in the, uh, comments. Yeah. Ruin another one of my nights where I just end up watching all these trailers. You guys suggest <laughs> you hop in the discord, suggest some trailers. Uh, after the break, we'll get into our review of 1992's death becomes her. A fledgling podcast can't stand up to the podcasting industrial complex without your help. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends who like movies. Help us take down the man and then become him. Rate, share, and join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash no concessions. Death Becomes Her was released on July 31st, 1992, and was directed by Robert Zemeckis, produced by Robert Zemeckis and Steve Starkley, written by Martin Donovan and David Kep, starring Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn, and Isabella Rosalini. Music by Alvin Silvestri, cinematography by Dean Kundry, edited by Arthur, Arthur Schmidt. 
with a runtime of 104 minutes and a budget of 55 million and a box office of 149 million, which is definitely considered a success, especially in terms of the 90s. Yeah. Maybe I'm making this up, but if you got three times your return or even two times your return when you made a movie, in at least in the 90s, that was considered a success. Now it's kind of like if it's not like four or five times. Yes. I mean, th- there was a, I think there was a scaling issue, much like every other aspect of our uh, economy since. If you could make back twice your budget in the 80s and 90s, you were, your movie did pretty well. And, but also like the, co- the general cost of movies was way lower. I mean, you can make a movie like this for what was the budget? Fifty-five million. Yeah, this movie looks pretty solid. For Fifty-five million. Yeah, absolutely. Granted, there are exactly four sets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> only like six actors have names, and you could tell most of that budget went to uh, ILM to make those effects happen. Speak like ILM being the pro- you know, the company that did the effects was pretty impressive. I mean, they just come off of, uh, the abyss and Terminator two and Jurassic park. Well, they were about to do Jurassic park. They actually used some of the techniques they developed on this movie for the like integration of CG and practical effects that made the dinosaurs look so good. They practiced a lot of those techniques in death becomes her. That's pretty dope. So that's a, wow. That's a way to do it. Yeah, Ken Ralston worked on both. He's the visual effects supervisor. He worked on both. And yeah, he was just using... He used a lot of things he did in Death Becomes Her, like when Meryl Streep's neck is broken or when they have they have the fight with the shovels. A lot of the stuff from those sequences, he's like, all right, well, now I know how to integrate. I can like match lighting and color to... A dynamic light sort like in a d- dynamic light situation and so then you have scenes like when the dinosaurs you see the dinosaurs in the field and they come up on the one that's injured or when like the t-rex scene at night that scene is directly tied to meryl streep getting her head bashed with the hammer with a shovel three years earlier nice i had no idea yeah it's, it's really facts it's a real interesting uh, there's not there aren't a ton of facts about this movie. I was trying to find articles and stuff like I usually do, and there's not a whole lot. <laughs> uh, this movie did okay when it like it did pretty well financially, and but didn't really do that well critically. It was generally panned, which I don't understand at all. I think it's very fun, but it was pretty panned at the time critically, and did decent on did a pretty good return on its budget, and then was just gone. So I, there was not a whole lot of like background that I could find on this movie. But uh, let's get into that recap. Bruce Willis plays a plastic surgeon named Ernest Menville. And he's engaged to Goldie Hawn's Helen Sharp. Helen Sharp. And they run into Goldie Hawn's old friend, uh, Madeline Ashton, who performs at on Broadway doing some really terrible plays. Yeah, she's an actress and it's... Her career is not going well. Helen and Madeline have had a bitter rivalry going back 
what to high school college. I think, I think it's implied they've known each other since high school or college. Yeah, yeah. So she Madeline is notorious for stealing the men of Helen. Helen, and so wouldn't you know? This is exactly what happens. Uh, Madeline steals her fiance, the plastic surgeon, Doctor Ernest Menville. The movie ensues from there. Basically, Helen gets super depressed. She has a fucking nervous breakdown <laughs> over losing another man to someone who's presumably her was presumably her friend at one point. Prior to Ernest meeting Madeline, she's just like, "This happens a lot. Uh, I, you wouldn't be the first person that I've dated who w- would leave me for Madeline." Yeah, he's like, "We." She's like, "We have to go because you have to pass the Madeline Ashton test because." I can't lose someone else. And he's like, hey, I'm not interested in her at all. Smash cut to them <laughs> leaving a church. So they get married. Helen has a fucking breakdown. We cut to her in a shitty apartment, real overweight, living with dozens of cats, eating cake frosting right out of the tin, watching television. Uh, being a, Actively being evicted, the police break her door down. <laughs> She's watching... A clip, because I guess Madeline kept acting. She's watching a clip from one of Madeline's movies uh, where she gets uh, choked and killed from behind. And she's just rewinding the scene over and over again. And then she's in a mental hospital, and she's just basically catatonic. And she has this revelation that she's just going to fucking kill her friend. <laughs> then we cut again. It jumps forward. What was it? It says it says how long it jumps forward. I want to say it was seven years later. She's in a psychiatric hospital, and then another seven years. Okay, yeah, that tracks. She's in. um, So this is fourteen years after she she gets dumped. Yeah, 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 yeah. That tracks because they're they appear to be adults, like they're clearly adults. And then she mentions that Helen is fifty when they're at the book party. So we, after we jump from the mental asylum, we see Madeline, who's in bed, clearly older, got a bunch of, like, shit on her face, presumably to keep her looking young. And they have a maid who has to, like, flatter her the whole time. And it zooms out and turns out she's, like, sleeping in bed alone because uh, Bruce Willis, Ernest, is a fucking broken drunk. (laughs) who's passed out in his study uh, again. And we see (laughs) Madeline gets like a breakfast and Ernest gets uh, Bloody Mary and aspirin. (laughs) That's what he has for breakfast. Ooh, sounds like a good breakfast. Breakfast of champions over here. And immediately is like uh, more vodka. (laughs) (laughs) He is no longer a plastic surgeon. He does. He's a, what is the, what the fuck is that job called? He puts makeup on corpses to make them look good for funerals. Oh, mortician. Mortician. There we go. I was like, morgue something. <laughs> so her film career is falling apart. He's no longer a surgeon. He's a mortician. And they get this invitation from Helen to go to her book release. I guess she'd been a novelist. So she invites them to, their, to this book release party. And they... Go, Madeline goes presumably to talk shit because she still remembers her as being a broken fat person. And then it's revealed Helen looks 
like Goldie Hawn. And <laughs> is immediately like, hey, we're cool. I forgive you. It was never about you. It was about Ernest. He's the one who left. And then he gets, she gets Ernest alone later in the night. I was like, I never blamed you. It was that bitch of a friend of mine. <laughs> and it's like clear she's got a plan. So now Madeline's all self-conscious because the person she came out to dunk on looks fucking great. And she's obsessed with her appearance. So she starts like doing all this shit. At the same time, Helen's trying to seduce Ernest and get him to murder her. Madeline ends up at this health clinic and is like, yo, I need something now. I need to look better than this bitch. He's trying to show me up. And she's like, money's no object. And that triggers the dude who, some other dude who works his place. Like, yo, here's a number. I know this lady. What's good? If money's no object, fucking day or night, hit her up. So she ignores it at first, and then they go to the party. She gets shown up. She tries to go fuck her little boy toy or whatever, and he's got a young woman with him, and she gets all offended. How dare you fuck a younger, prettier woman? That's not what she says. And he's like, he, he's like, yo, it's embarrassing when we go out because you're clearly an older woman, and I'm a young, hot man. <laughs> it's the <laughs> least subtle scene I've ever seen in a movie full of zero subtext. <laughs> <laughs> everything is just right out there in this movie. So that's when she decides she like, you know, she's breaking down because this young man doesn't want to fuck her anymore. And she already feels like shit most of the time. So she goes to this house that she got the card from the creepy dude at the, the beauty treatment place. And Isabella Rosalini, whatever. I can never, I don't remember any of the actresses, any of their uh, characters names. Lyle. Leesley. I don't remember how it's I think it's only said on screen once or twice. I cannot actually remember. But anyway, she's like, hey, I know what you're about. I've seen your movies, and I know what you're here for. I got it. I got it right here. How old do you think I am? And she's like, 38. 28? <laughs> I was like, I'm 71, bitch. <laughs> and I was like a young, hot Italian woman. She's like, I got this potion. It costs us something different for everybody. It's a cartoonish high amount that we never see. It's played for comedy. And then she gives her demonstration. It works. She takes or Helen. Madeline takes the potion. She immediately starts de-aging. And just becomes a huge bitch again. Hell yeah. <laughs> or more of a bitch than she was before. While this is all happening, Helen's like, yo, we got to kill your wife. <laughs> she's she did this to you. you used to be an aspiring surgeon you used to be full of life and now you're this broken man and she did that to you and i can't stand to see you like this ernest i love you so much still let's make something happen we'll kill your wife and here's how we'll do it and that seems very funny on some fucking ant-man shit yeah <laughs> yeah that was pretty good and so she leaves helen comes back or madeline comes back turns into a complete bitch the next day or accelerates accelerates her bitchiness. Pisses off Ernest. He fucking chucks to choke her out. Stops. He's like, oh shit, I can't fucking choke my wife. That's a thing that bad people do. And then she falls down the stairs. And he freaks out. And he calls Helen immediately. And like a fucking as, idiot. Bruce Willis. Oh, fuck, we gotta get through this. <laughs> it's not a lot happens in this movie, but so much happens at the same time. 
Yeah, this is another one of the better sight gags, and it works a lot. It works well because Madeline's in the background as she gets up, and you notice that her neck is broken, and yeah. she's kind of like stumbling around. Because you see her neck, you see her like land on her neck when she's falling down the stairs, and then she's just there. And so you got Bruce Willis in the foreground on the phone, freaking out. He's like pacing back and forth like you see him leave the room but he, it's, he's on a corded phone so you see him like pace into another room and you see him come back and that's when you see madeline start to stand up and there's clearly something off about her because she's just like stumbling and her movement is really stilted and then as she gets she's like walking towards the camera and then you see that her <laughs> neck is all the way backwards and she doesn't realize it at first so she's just like freaking out she's like just mad about being pushed down the stairs and Ernest immediately like loses his shit because he can see that her fucking neck is twisted back. So he rushes her to the hospital. What's going on? She's <laughs> got no pulse and a temperature of 80. Yeah, and it's like going down. She has no pulse. Her wrist is completely broken and she can't feel it. And then they pull the trench coat that she's, she has on and she's still got bones sticking out of her neck. <laughs> and the doctor just fucking dips. <laughs> and then they fucking put her in the... She like... Does he pass out? Uh, I think so. But ultimately what ends up happening is Ernest fixes her up. Yeah, she ends up in the morgue and he gets her out and uses his mortician skills to make her look like a living person again. After this, Helen pops by the crib again and Ernest and her are talking in the open about (laughs) this plan to murder and how it went completely south. And Helen's like, you fucking idiot. We had a whole thing. It did not involve you pushing her down the fucking stairs, you dummy. How are we supposed to make this work? Where's the body? She like brought a bunch of, she brought like shovels and a tarp and rope and shit. She's like, I can't believe to fucking clean up your mess. This is supposed to be simple. We had a whole thing. This is when Madeline pops out with the shotgun and plugs her. Yeah, just shoots <laughs> Helen in the stomach, launching her out of their, you know, foyer into like a fountain they have in the backyard. And then we get that same shit where <laughs> Ernest is freaking out. We see Helen in the background just get up and she's got a huge hole in her stomach and it's like water's just flowing through yeah. her. <laughs> and that's when Madeline notices. So uh, the woman who gave her the potion also gave her this pen that like shows that she's part of this group that's taken this uh, potion and she sees the same pen is on Helen's uh, blouse. And like, you took the potion. You th-, and they're like fucking getting into it. And since they realize that neither of them can die, they're just like going at it with these shovels. And this is the scene where they're doing the little circular dance. And of course, by today's standards, it looks kind of shitty. The CG that's got the hole in Helen's stomach. Yeah. You can see that it's like basically polygon. Yeah, you, it is it's like this weird tone it's, of it's black. Just black. Yeah, <laughs> like it's clearly they had her like have a green screen thing, like you know, some something on her chest and back to so they could composite the hole later. And it's not super great, but that's in 2019. It's not super great, considering other movies that came out around the same time. Looks pretty good. There's also a scene where she, where Helen, smacks madeline across the face with a shovel 
twists her neck and she like twists it back and pulls it up and it's all st- it, like fucking looks like flubber or some shit <laughs> but uh they're like having this like slapstick you know pretty brutal fight yeah. and then they stop because like this isn't fucking get us anywhere getting us anywhere neither of us can die what are we doing they sit down they talk and they fucking reconcile it's a weird thing <laughs> it's actually like really gets into the heart of their relationship but it's again it's so brief <laughs> and then it's just over and they're like yo Ernest is a mortician now he can keep us both looking like we're alive people so let's be cool to him now now that we're friends again and Ernest is not having it. Yeah. He's like, I'll I'll pick you guys up one more time, and then I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> I'm like, we can't keep this up on our own. We got to keep him around. But the only way to keep him around is to, so he also takes the potion. And so they're trying to, like, drug his whiskey, and he's not having it. He's, like, freaking out. He's giving this whole long speech about how weird his fucking life got all of a sudden. And he ends up he's like spilling the whiskey everywhere a lot of very good visual comedy in this movie but he's spilling the whiskey everywhere that they put uh sleeping pills in and then right before he takes like just a little sip he like pours it out and so they just both hit him over the head with vases he wakes up in a tuxedo in the mansion uh where the potion woman lives she's really opposed to wearing uh clothes and she's got like sexy dudes around. Yeah, I love the one dude is still wearing like the training belt over his tuxedo. <laughs> but there's this whole, it's this party, this like black tie event of other people who've taken this potion. And they're like talking about, hey, Hale, you guys all know the rules. This is for the audience at this point. You all know the rules. You can do whatever you want for like 10 years and you got to fucking disappear. They'd established it earlier when Madeline was there. But like having this big party and ha ha ha, Elvis also took the potion. He's still alive and skinny. Um, Too bad Tupac wasn't in here. <laughs> this was the year that he was murdered, right? Or was that 94? I think it was 94. Okay. Damn. Because that would have been very uh, crass. <laughs> <laughs> Ernest doesn't take the potion right away. He's, he's about to take the potion. And then it's like, that's a fucking terrible life. I don't want to live forever and watch every normal person I know die. And then also... Uh, my wife and my ex are crazy and they're going to follow me around forever. So he decides not to take it and then he's trying to escape. Madeline and Helen are trying to keep him from getting away. He, he ends, ends up on the, the roof, roof somehow. Yeah. And he's trying to get away from them. They're like, he ends up hanging over like the top of this fucking mansion. Like, he's like on this storm drain back when they were made to last or some shit. Yeah, because he's hanging there for a while by his suspenders. Yep. And his suspenders break. The pipe doesn't break. So like, yo, if you don't take that potion, you're going to die. Taking it's the only way to live. Even though that fall would completely break all of his bones. So even if you were like kind of pulled back together, he'd look like shit for a long time. Yeah. But anyway, he manages to fall into the pool and escape. And then we jump ahead. 37 37 years. years. So now he's... That was the math that I was checking earlier. Yeah. I, yeah, I knew like, that jump was big. Yeah, yeah. Because he's supposed to be like, have died in his 80s. Yeah, I was like, oh, was that this year? Or is that in 10 years? Yeah. 10 years. So, it's, it cuts to Ernest's funeral, and the priest is talking about all the stuff that he did with his life. And in the back, it's Helen, Madeline, and they've got veils on. And they're just like, Basically, just like talking, they're just like laughing to themselves about all this, this shit. And then they 
goats leave and they pull their veils up and they're all like fucked up and falling apart and they're getting into an argument and they end up falling down the stairs and they break into a bunch of pieces at, uh, but because they're still immortal their heads are still alive it's and, a pretty good gag and there's a one more one liner and then the movie's just fucking over do you remember where you parked the car because they got into an argument before they both fell down the stairs about how Helen always loses stuff or Madeline always loses stuff yes exactly and that's it. This movie is only hour 20. It's pretty short, right? 104 minutes, hour and 40. Okay. So, yeah. So, it's a pretty short film. Relative to what comes out now. Yeah. And like I said, it's very, it's so, all this stuff happens very quickly. This movie's pacing is quick. Like, it sets up, it just opens with this musical sequence and Goldie Hawn and Bruce Willis are just watching and he's real into it. And then it's just like there's a bunch of cuts to just things are happening somewhere else or at another point in time. And it just keeps happening. And like I guess it makes up for how little there actually is going on because it's a very contained story. Like I said, only four characters, only like six characters have names. And only Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn, and Meryl Streep have more than like four or five lines. Yeah. Bruce Willis. This is probably my favorite performance of his. Okay. Because it's so different than most of the other, even like for that time when he's doing Die Hard and fucking Hudson Hawk, what, a year or two later. Yeah. And it's like, this is, especially compared to the shit he does now, it's like, he is, he's so weird. And like, he goes back and forth between like being this kind of weird nerd who's out of his depth to being really pathetic. <laughs> he does he does manic really well. He does. On on a scale, it's just like a step below Nick Cage manic where it's like uh this guy it's, should be It's just it. enough that it's not annoying. Yeah, yeah. Like if it were even like a little bit more or if he'd been given like 10 minutes more screen time, it might have become really grating. Yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't quite tip into this is too much. I'm finding that I really like Goldie Hawn. Just in, my girlfriend's really into her movies. And so I've been watching a few more of them. And uh, Goldie Hawn, just, she gives a fun performance a lot. I never, I haven't seen a lot of Meryl Streep movies because uh, I don't watch a lot of dramas. But she's also very fun in this. She's very. Yeah, oddly enough. But also Meryl Streep has a face for drama. It yeah. seems like. She doesn't have a huge range of facial expressions. Yeah. And it's very clear in this movie because she just kind of has this like bitchy sneer the whole time. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> Even and like she when does she does it well. Yeah. Even when she like cries, it's like, oh, you're such a bitch. Like, <laughs> I don't feel bad for you. But no. it works for this character. Yeah. And that's absolutely. what makes it. Yeah. Like an engaging performance. And it's like, it's listed as a comedy horror and it's not there. I guess there's some like body horror stuff, but none of it's like grotesque. You don't see anybody like bleeding. Uh, you don't see any bones pop out of anybody. It's just like their bodies are like fucked up, but not any worse than like Beetlejuice. If this movie was made today, there would be a lot more viscera and it would be way more gory. 
there'd be a lot more body horror stuff. Yeah, it'd be really over the top. Even if like everything else were the same, if the script were exactly the same, there'd still be like the visual effects would be so dialed up that it would be gross. Yeah, people's eyes popping out of their heads yeah. or some shit. I don't know. Like it's full on like Looney Tunes style violence, but just they play it just straight enough that the like they still have bones. Yeah, yeah. They're not having anvils dropped on them. Yeah, like when you know Helen breaks her neck the second time, she can't hold it up, and that's also a very fun scene <laughs> where she's like they're like arguing, and she has to keep pulling her head up <laughs> by her hair, and Helen gets all upset. And so even when they when they go up to have Ernest fix them again, she's still holding her hair to keep her neck from falling over. It's a pretty good bit. There, are, oh, this movie's like we mentioned the uh, the scene where. Helen is planning how they're going to frame Madeline's death. And that scene is, it's like, it's different than any of the other scenes. None of them quite go that far into, none of the other scenes really go that far into being like cartoonish, but that's, it's very funny on its own. But uh, yeah, it's just, this movie is just fun. There's not a whole lot to it. This is not, there's not a lot of substance here. It's a cool idea and they play with it in one situation and then it's over. I do like the simplicity of the movie. Mm. One of the things that does bother me about how movies are made today is that this would immediately have a sequel. There'd be so many sequels. Where they would explore the lives of the other people who are immortal. And then eventually in the third movie, they'd have to kill the immortal woman. Yeah. Because she's some like secret murderer or some shit. Not just some lady who likes to live forever or whatever. It's, It's a nice, simple premise. That seems like it would work in like a sketch comedy show or something. Yeah. This is basically a long sketch. Like it's not, there's not a whole lot to it. It's good. It's, it's a lot of fun. Speaking of Goldie Hawn, I think she was supposed to star in the last week's movie that we did. Uh, my blue heaven. Yeah. I think that was supposed to be a movie. It was around that area. She'd done, uh, that would have been her third movie in like five years that she did with Steve Martin. Oh God. Steve Martin's not funny. I also don't. I mean, maybe maybe that's like a thing for certain people. Maybe it's like a generational thing too, because I don't know. Because he had a huge career. Yeah, dude, he was really big. But watching his comedy now, and even in the like, even when I was younger, a lot of people lauded him as like a comedy genius. Yeah, but like, comedy is so difficult now in that everybody is incorporating things from other people so frequently yeah. that when you see Steve Martin do something that's like four generations removed or like more realistically like three decades removed from yeah. when he initially did it and somebody has perfected it, then it's kind of just like, well, this guy is just the unfunny version of somebody who's done this now. Yeah. So I don't know. Comedy is difficult. But uh, yeah, she had been in at least one other movie around that same time with Steve Martin, house guest or house sitter. Goldie Hawn's very fun in that. She basically was like cons this dude into letting her have his house. And (laughs) she, she's a very good uh, con woman in that movie, but it, uh, it ends very predictably, but her and Steve Martin fall in love. Yeah. It's dumb. Well, cool. I liked the first two-thirds of the movie where she's just hardcore bullshitting everybody for a long time. It's very... Goldie Hawn, I gotta, I gotta find more of her stuff because I think she... I don't know how uh, 
accurately rated she was in the 80s and 90s. But I don't in think terms she's of her comedy? Or in, in terms of like just her acting ability in general. Oh, God. Um, I know she's not really talked about too much now. She hasn't, she hasn't, she's been in anything high profile in probably 10, 15 years. Yeah, but, I mean, she's about the same age as Meryl Streep, so yeah. I couldn't imagine that there are a ton of roles for her in Hollywood. Yeah. Which is, like, kind of a fucked up thing. Yeah. Final thoughts on the movie? Final thoughts. This movie's real fun. It is a great way to, like, this is a good movie night movie. Like, if you want to get some people together and just, like, watch some bullshit, this is a good one. This is a good one to pick because you're, it's fun. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. And it's very digestible. Like, it, you take it in. It's funny to watch. It's funny on repeat viewings, too. Like, I, I just watched it for the first time about a year ago. And I've, or no, just watched it for about about five, six months ago, pretty recently. I watched it for the first time. And I've seen it probably six times since then, including the viewing I did for this show. It's a fun film. And that holds up. The effects are dated, but not in like an embarrassing way. You can see the seams, but it doesn't like take you out of it. Yeah. There's not too many uses of visual effects in this movie. So it's not a big deal when it does look a little bit janky. Yeah. But it's only maybe four or five shots. Yeah. There's like very like at the end and then one when she's got the hole blown in her. Yeah. It's it's a fun movie. I definitely recommend it. I do agree with your sentiment that it's a good movie night movie because it's not something that you really have to pay attention to. Yeah. It's not a movie like Inception where you're watching and it doesn't make sense, even though you're paying the closest attention that you could. Yeah. But if you're not paying attention, it definitely doesn't make any yeah. sense. Like you're going to get lost watching a movie like Inception by not paying attention because it's nonsensical already. It's fall trying to follow its own internal logic. But if you miss any of those steps, you're completely lost because it will not hold your hand to get you back to it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this movie is there's not a ton going on outside of like gags. Yeah. So you're watching for the fun of it, not necessarily to extract some larger meaning out yeah. of it. And it's just a fun watch. It's fun to, fun to see this stuff. For sure. For sure. All right. So after the break, we'll get to our titular segment. No concessions. You thought you were going to escape without being told about the Patreon? No way. Patreon.com slash no concessions. We got help bonus content, a newsletter, a Doctor Who recap show, commentary tracks, bonus reviews, all kinds of stuff. You'll love it. Sign up at Patreon.com slash no concessions. Patreon. Patreon.com slash no concessions. And we're back with our titular segment, No Concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movie. This week, we're doing our favorites. Charles, you want to start us off? Is this another uh, probably bad one? Uh, and it's a twofer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cater for both these movies. Now You See Me and its sequel, Now You See Me Too. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> the, uh, there is one thing I will concede on this pair of films, and it's that the second one should have been called Now You Don't. But <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> 
Oh, my God. Otherwise, these stupid magic movies are the exact kind of goofy heist movie that I'm fucking about. This is... Oh, my God. The biggest (laughs) problem that I had with these movies, and this was confirmed in the sequel, is they couldn't make up their mind between whether or not they were actually magic. Yeah, they had no idea. (laughs) Or if they were just sleight-of-hand magicians and shit. They're They're so full of shit on, like, every level where they're, like... You see some of the shit they do, even just in the trailer. Like, okay, that's on some, you know, David Blaine, David Copperfield shit. Uh, and, but it's still, yeah, that's like a cool visual thing. But that's the kind of thing you can do in a movie that maybe if you saw on, if you saw on the street or like in Vegas or some shit, you'd be like, that's pretty cool. I wonder how they did that. And you would just let it go. But like the trick with the building. Yeah. That's, feasible. is this your card, madam? How the fuck did you do that? Are you actually magic? When huh? when fucking Jesse Eisenberg freezes the rain. Oh god. Like wait, is he actually magic? What are we doing? <laughs> the the best part about that is the idea I think behind that was supposed to be that it's strobe lights that are making it look like the rain is frozen, but I don't know where I got that idea from. I have no idea. Yeah, it doesn't. None of it makes sense. It's all real dumb. Yeah, and everyone. It it's one of those heist movies that, like all heist movies, try to kind of keep the audience on your toes. Like the Ocean's movies do this thing, where probably they do it the most like explicitly, where they give you the whole plan, and then the plan goes, and it seems like stuff doesn't work, but it turns out all of it was part of the plan. It's not even really that good in the first one, <laughs> but it's engaging because again, stuff is just happening. the The pace that the first oceans that Ocean's Eleven, I guess, yes, the pace that Ocean's Eleven goes at keeps you like engaged. You're like, what the fuck is happening? And it diminishing returns in the second in the two sequels. I have not seen the Ocean's Eight, and I don't care to. I'll probably watch it eventually, but it hasn't been high on my list. Now you see me is that same shit just with magic tricks. <laughs> and <laughs> I am 100% that black dude in those magician videos <laughs> that you see on YouTube where oh. you just like, I love some sleight of hand shit and it's very entertaining to me. Um, I'm not like running around the room or anything, but it's, I, I'm, I'll just, if I see something really cool, like I've seen some sleight of hand shit, like on the boardwalk or something, and just, I'll just start laughing. It's very funny to me. It's very entertaining. And this movie is that, but dumb. And it hits me in the same way. <laughs> okay. Especially with the stupid twist at the end where like Mark Ruffalo was pulling the strings the whole time. Cause there's nothing. There's nothing. I've watched these movies easily 10 times each. There's nothing that indicates in that first one that he's anything but a good police officer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just revealed at the end. Oh yeah. That magician that you guys all look up to, he's my fucking dad. And I've been looking for him ever since. I'm the one who got you guys together. And then I don't even, I full on again. I've watched both those movies 10 times. I don't know what the plot of the second one is. I just know Daniel Radcliffe is there because why not? Okay. So I can tell you based on the trailers, Michael, what's his name? From the first movie, Michael something. The old guy who's always been old. 
and Morgan Freeman. Oh yes, Morgan Freeman and uh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah. yeah. So I know they're like they they team up with Daniel Radcliffe to get revenge on the musicians. Right. He's a counter music. He's a counter magician. Who's yeah. Michael Caine's grandson? Yeah, and he's like, I'm gonna help the debunker debunk this. Yeah. Oh my god, the movie. The second movie is so stupid. <laughs> it's equally stupid. I would say and less memorable. <laughs> I think honestly, the first movie is a lot better than the second movie. Oh, hundred percent, because it's because it's um it it it's still trying to convince itself that it's like magic, but not magic. Like it's dancing on the fence so much that it doesn't make any sense. The second one is just like, oh, we're actually magic. We've been magic the whole time because yeah, they have to like scale everything up, and so it gets to the point where. Like you were saying, like when you're like, you just kind of, however you got there, at some point you logic in your head, strobe lights. That's why it looks like the rain's not falling anymore. Because that's the kind of thing you could actually do. Yes. But none of the stuff in the second one, because it has to be a higher scale than the first movie, none of that stuff is even remotely. And they fall, what? They fall through space and time and end up in China. Yes. It's like, what? Oh, so it is magic. Okay. They don't bother to explain anything even kind of and then like they're like being hunted and shit by the like real magicians it's so fucking wild those movies are super dumb but i love them so i used to just sit me and my old roommate would just like if neither of us has anything to do like put now you see me on and we just watch that shit (laughs) they're the i got some spicy picks in terms of how dumb the movies are that i will not uh i will not give up at all and this these are easily the dumbest ones that i've enjoyed (laughs) okay all right well that's fair my pick is predator 2 okay starring danny glover i do love predator 2 it's same the movie's really good predator 2 is good predator would have been a really easy pick and that's initially what i was gonna go for but predator 2 is equally as good i i like what it does with by doing like a setting change yeah, because I feel like a a sequel with less attention paid to it would have just done someone being picked off in the jungle again, like uh, Predators. Yeah, but Predator Two is like, yo, we already know what this thing can do. Let's see what it does in a different environment, and it works. Yes, it does, and it works really well. Uh, Danny Glover as a cop. Just this frantic, sweaty fucker. He's so sweaty in that everybody He's the in the movie. Everybody in the fucking movie is super sweaty. And also, one of the tropes I'm glad has died since the 90s is the lady cop who hates the other cop, but is secretly fucking him. That's what happens with one of the cops in the movie. Yeah. And one of the greatest scenes that's taken place in a movie ever is when the predator is stomping through the Los Angeles Metro and just killing people in the train cars. That was really dope. Really enjoyed that. And the ending or towards the ending with Gary Busey. Yes. Who's playing that weird government guy and they're just going through the fucking uh, butchery yeah. or whatever the fuck it's called. Butcheria. I don't know. I don't know. It's, Whatever they they store cold meat in it, slaughterhouse maybe. Yeah, slaughterhouse. The larder of the slaughterhouse. Larder. Okay, there we go. Larder is just a fun word to say. It just means big fridge. But yes, that's exactly what it was. It was yeah. the larder. So they're going through the larder and like trying to get 
the Predator. Mm-hmm. And one of the best scenes is when the Predator fires its disc and it lops off Gary Busey's head. Yeah. And it's taking down the flanks of meat as well. Yes. And then you just see his body fall with some slabs of meat. I was just like, yo, that was... That was cute. That well-constructed shot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a cool little visual thing. Danny Glover just being sweaty no matter where he was. <laughs> He's literally in a giant freezer. <laughs> He's just sweating bullets. Oh, man. That movie is a lot of fun to watch. I would say it's more fun than the first one. I think the first one plays it closer to like a horror movie, despite it being like a big... It still like has a lot of big action elements to it, but I think with the like there's more of a suspense element to it because they're just like out in the jungle and like the mission goes south and so you're there being lied to like all this other shit's happening and like it's the tension is higher uh, for the audience as well because it's they're in the jungle and that's kind of inherently unfamiliar for people who would be seeing a movie and. Because, but because you already understand the general idea of the predator, it's more the tension more comes from what's going to happen next, and less like the general idea of it's less about the mystery of the situation and more about how does the situation apply in a in a something we're familiar with, and that kind of makes it engaging in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if this is entirely true, but it plays into like the boomer fantasy at some points because yeah. it's the predator literally killing a bunch of brown people. Yeah. And they're that just so happen to be gang members. Like the only gang members featured in the in the movie are Hispanic dudes and Jamaican dudes yeah. because there's also a huge Jamaican community yeah. in LA for some reason, which is I don't as far as I'm aware has never existed. Yeah, never been true. So uh, the fucking Jamaicans migrate from New York. <laughs> the Yardies come from New York to to Los Angeles. I think it was just in someone's head. It was more okay if the black people had accents, <laughs> like that. Clearly, makes them foreigners, so it's okay if we kill them. It's you got to be able to differentiate between Danny Glover and the other black people. Yeah, they can't just be like the same. They've got dreads. <laughs> They've got. They've got fucking. They've got fucking dreads, dude. And that's where the predator gets it from. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, it did inadvertently lead to the Alien versus Predator movies by having that Easter egg on the ship. But I wonder how they got approval for that. I think. Do you, Do you think they just put it in there? I, they probably did because we never see a xenomorph like skeleton in the Alien movies up to that point, and. It's only the head. That's it's just in the there. skull, I guess. You know, it's because it's still it's still white. Like it's still clearly just like bone, which is weird because they clearly have like an exoskeleton. But whatever. <laughs> uh, if anything, it should be, it should still be black and be more of a uh, a hollow carapace. But it's fine. But by adding that in, because I can't imagine like it's visually distinct. Like that's clearly that's a xenomorph. But maybe because it was a skull, it was like hey, legally kind of dicey. The xenomorphs are black, and they have like they look like this. This is a skull of a thing that looks like a xenomorph, but we never caught that, and you never see it up close. And I'm sure James Cameron was cool with it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe James Cameron? You mean Ridley Scott? Ridley Scott, yes. Yeah. Or maybe they just went uh, directly to uh, H.R. Geiger and was like, "Yo." 
He doesn't own that shit. Slide is one of those things. <laughs> no, he probably just like had it. That dude was fucking weird. He probably just like had a skull that really Scott did not ask for. <laughs> oh, shit. I wonder, is there an H.R. Geiger Museum? Yes. Where is it? L.A.? Uh, where is that museum? I, w- I want to go there. That'd be cool. That's that's the one museum that I'd go to. Yeah, because it because all the stuff that he's worked on is super fascinating. I know there was a there was a large the Museum of Arts and Design in New York City did a big exhibit after he died, but I don't think there's a full museum. Oh, okay, never mind. I was like, I'm not going to walk through the rest of that museum uh, just to see the small wing of Geiger stuff or Geiger, however the fuck you pronounce his name. Yeah, catch me out here giving a fuck about art when. <laughs> Let me know. All right, thanks everybody for listening to this week's edition of No Concessions. We'll uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye.